God, you are good. Thank you for calling us back week after week as your people to gather, to lift our eyes off of ourselves and up to you. Lord, we pray that our worship this morning would be delighting to you, that you would meet us just in the way that we need met, that we would hear from you, that you would speak, whether it be through a song lyric that grabs us, message from scripture, something that someone else says, maybe just the presence of another person. Help us, Lord, to hear from you, to trust that your presence is with us, and that you love us. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray this morning. Amen. All right, well, the last two weeks, whether by accidents or providence or a little bit of both, we have found ourselves in John's Gospel, John 20 to be specific. And we have this scene post-resurrection where Jesus appears to his disciples who are hiding. They are hiding behind locked door in the upper room. And I preached on this passage two weeks ago, suggesting that one of the things we see in this scene is Jesus come in and breathe peace and speak peace and be peace right into the middle of fear and doubt and grief. And I suggested that as his followers, those of us who are seeking to trek behind Jesus, to walk in the way of Jesus, that that's our call as well. That we are called to breathe peace and speak peace and be peace into every space and every place where human wholeness and flourishing would be threatened. And then this last Sunday, Marty preached this passage. Pretty much the same sermon, just kidding. Uh, and Marty brought additional perspective and depth in a way that Marty uniquely can. And one of the many things that I think Marty offered us through the sermon last week, or at least the thing that really stood out to me, was what I'll call the humanness, the humanness of these disciples. Trace back in your mind that scene. Jesus actually appears to the disciples who were hiding in that upper room. He appears in bodily form. He gives them this command to go. Remember, he says, as my father has sent me, so I am sending you. So he has this mission for them. He promises them the Holy Spirit. He even reminds them that pain and suffering and death will happen, but that it's not the end of the story. Remember, he shows his wounds, these marks on his body that reveal the message of the cross and the death that will be required for those who follow him. And do you remember how the disciples responded? We know at least a week later, if we move along in that text, when Jesus appears again to Thomas, they are still in the upper room. They are still hanging around. And if you keep reading in John's account, John 21, which is the final chapter of that gospel, what are we going to find those disciples doing? Fishing. Have they returned to this thing that they left? They're fishing. It's no wonder why Jesus has to keep appearing to them. These first disciples, the ones who were closest to Jesus, certainly didn't have it all together. But that humanness, that human limitation, didn't seem to dissuade Jesus from calling them. It didn't dissuade Jesus when he first called them, when he said, leave your fishing nets, come, let me teach you how to fish for people. And it didn't dissuade Jesus when he called them again, time after time, and put them to work to spread this gospel message across the world. They doubted, they were afraid, they didn't get it, they dragged their feet, they disagreed, they certainly didn't have much. 
But in God's eyes, they were enough. They were enough. The story of scripture, at least as far as I can tell, is the story of God using the least likely, perhaps even the least qualified, at least in the world's eyes, to accomplish his purposes. We see that threaded throughout the book of the entire Bible, Old Testament and New. This is good news for us. I find that especially good news. I don't know about you. God uses the least likely, perhaps even the least qualified, to accomplish his purposes. And then last Sunday, Marty left us with what I thought was a rather provocative question. He asked, what is it that, why is it, rather, that God has given us this passage two weeks in a row? What's that about? And if you weren't here last week, the story went like this. I preached the passage two weeks ago. A couple days later, Marty emailed Jeffrey and I and said, here's the slides that I need for this Sunday. John 20, verses 19 through 29. And I said, Marty, I just preached that. Are you just going to build on what I did? That's great. Sounds wonderful. And he said, I didn't know that you preached that. And let me add another layer to the mystery. I wasn't supposed to preach two weeks ago. Katie Ranham was. And we made a call on Friday afternoon because she was not feeling well that I would pinch hit. And that passage was already planted in me, which was a total gift because it needed to come together rather quickly in two days. <laughs> so what is it about that story? What is the message God wants us, UCC, to hear? Well, I have been reflecting on that all week. And I have just a few thoughts that I want to offer this morning. There is a theme in that passage, John 20, there's a theme of sending. We have definitely been sending people, right? Some of that has been joyous, some of that has been especially painful and difficult, and yet, and yet, we are invited to trust that even if we don't understand it, even if we wouldn't have chosen it, even if we're not so sure where the sending is going to take us and the people who have gone, we can trust that God has good things in store for all of his people. And he is with us. He is with us as we go, whether we are called to stay planted and walk out our callings here or move on to new adventures, new contexts, new cities, new callings. So I see a connection there. Is there something there about the sending that he is speaking to us? And of course, with sending comes this call to mission, right? This, this call to join God in his great reconciliation and restorative project seeking to advance peace and justice and wholeness and love wherever we are. We've been talking about mission here as it relates to our life together as a church. You might remember at the end of April, we had a celebration called Remissioning, which was a call to remember why UCC was planted here in this neighborhood some 35 years ago, in simple terms, to be salt, light, and leaven in this university neighborhood. I see that starting to strengthen again. I see us hearkening back to that. Perhaps that's the connection to this passage. Just a reminder that we interpret the gospel through how we live and that our very presence in a place and our choice to dwell in a place and to bring light into every corner where darkness would threaten is something that is worth pursuing. Perhaps that's the tie to the passage. In that scripture passage, we also see Jesus reveal his wounds. Do you remember? He shows the nail marks in his hands and the spear wound in his side. And I think it is safe to say that the last two to three years has left many of us feeling wounded. Many of us feeling wounded in one way or another. There has been loss after loss, hurt, difficulties that come from change, even if it's good change. 
And in that passage, remember, Jesus shows his wounds. He does not hide them. He doesn't hide behind them. He doesn't seem ashamed of them. He even invites one of the disciples, Thomas, to reach out and touch his wounds. Perhaps there's a message there for us about how we respond to woundedness, ours and other people's. There's a message in that passage about forgiveness, offering mercy. That feels important. Or perhaps we are simply being reminded through this scripture that God hasn't left us hung out to dry. That Jesus still shows up and surprises us. The Holy Spirit still moves and breathes and has its way with us, offering us guidance and wisdom and comfort and strength and love. I have seen that happen here among us. I am watching that happen here. I've seen it in my personal life in the past two to three years. I've seen it in many of your lives as I've had the pleasure to walk with you in the past couple years. I see it happening here in our life together as UCC. God is with us. God's presence is leading this church, restoring us, reviving us. Jesus is with us. He is orchestrating something beautiful here. Do you see it? Do you see it? I've really enjoyed thinking about what this passage, uh, why this passage was given to us two weeks in a row. And I would love to hear what you're sensing and seeing as well, right? How is this scripture speaking to you? What's resonating for you? Is there a way, like those disciples, that we're still hiding, staying behind a locked door, staying small, keeping quiet with what God has done and is doing? Are there ways that we're doubting, right? Perhaps we have heard clearly from God. Perhaps we have seen miracles, but something is still causing us to drag our feet. Could be fear in some form. Could be some other stories that we're telling ourselves, lies the evil one is tempting us to believe. Could there be ways that we're allowing wounds to go unattended, right? Not facing them as real parts of our story and our stories. Are there places that still need the touch of the great wounded healer? himself in our own lives and in our relationships maybe are there areas in our lives that need that gentle graceful and peaceful presence of the risen Jesus of the risen Jesus and do the people closest to us know about those parts of our lives so they can stand with us with God per usual I have more questions than answers I don't know but I want to invite you to ponder some of those questions with me this week why is this passage being served up to this church at this time? I would love to hear how it's speaking to you, what's resonating in your heart. And with that, I want to make some space this morning to hear from someone who is a part of us, who's been a part of us for a long time, Randy Bruins. I've invited Randy to come forward this morning and just share some of the ways that God has been at work in his life the past two to three years. And Randy is someone who, as many of you know, along with his wife Connie, did go. They were sent. They were following God's call on their lives when they moved to Kazakhstan in early 2019. They were sent back later in that year, sent back to the U.S. when relational tension sent them on a journey of a different kind, a more internal journey to discover where healing and transformation needed to happen. And that journey was well underway. Breakthrough happening, new plans unfolding to return to Kazakhstan at the end of 2021 when we lost Connie. And as you can imagine, this changed things. This opened up some new questions. And so I would love to, Randy, have you come on forward now? I know that what Randy has to share from us is from a deeply personal place and from the heart. So let's welcome him. Thank you, Randy, for being well, willing to share.
Well, uh, the first thing I would like to say to all of you is thank you. Thank you for loving Connie and me and being our family. Thank you for grieving um, with me um, when Connie died. Thank you for showing up at her memorial service in a big way and for continuing to be present to me. And as both Megan and Marty have said, in Jesus' community, there need be no hiding. I don't hide the fact that I'm grieving. And grief is a heavy burden, but I've come to understand that every successful marriage ends in grief. It's not somehow outside God's design, but it's still a difficult passage. I do feel beat up inside. But certain things have helped, and one of those has been the huge response of this community. And, and so one reason I am up here today is to say thank you. So, um, so that's where things are with me right now, but what I would like to do is tell you um, a little bit about the, the passages that Connie and I have come through, and then um, what's next for me, where I'm headed. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Um, the particular part of this phrase that I want us to reflect on is, as the Father has sent me. And I will come back to this. Years ago, Connie and I felt a clear call to go abroad and minister cross-culturally. And this church was involved in refining that call. We were part of a UCC team that sent three couples to Southeast Asia. We were intimately involved in their training and visioning, and in the process, we also got hooked. So here's um, one idea to, to hold on to. If you want to get vision, hang around people who have vision. So soon after that team went out, they got into severe relational difficulty. And after a few years, the team collapsed and many in the church were hurt. But somehow Connie's and my vision was not dampened at all. We were still eager to go ourselves. We didn't realize that several years later we would be living through our, our own disaster. So our years of preparation involved many forms of cross-cultural engagement. Doctoral research projects in China for both Connie and me, Bible studies with international students, interfaith activities with the Clifton Mosque, learning to understand and respect differences, and learning what Jesus brings into all of these relationships. So when the uh, time finally came for us to retire and um, go uh, to a um, majority Muslim country like Kazakhstan, we did so eagerly. When we arrived in Kazakhstan, and we were specifically in Almaty, where um, Abe's family, who are here, um, uh, lived for, for many years, um, when 
um, we, were, we were there, we arrived, and so I did things by the book. I focused on language study. So focusing on language study and not getting distracted by anything, other things, you know, this is the path to long-term effectiveness, you know, according to experts and to our organization. So um, I'm good at orderly things like language, like science, and like um, functioning well within organizations. Now, Connie knew she wasn't that good at languages, but using her eyes and her smile and lots of hand gestures, she just jumped straight into relationships. She started meeting with two Kazakh church leaders who wanted to learn English. So from the other room in our apartment, I could tell it was mostly laughing. Um, but those ladies loved Connie and, and still love her to this day. And then she um, started um, meeting with uh, a, sewing, a sewing group, ladies who were getting together to learn and teach sewing. And this was partly a way to generate a little bit of extra income for their families, but um, also a way to draw others in, draw others to, to Jesus. And because Connie herself was such a draw, many more um, people came. Now, uh, the organization that helped us get to Kazakhstan had placed us under the leadership of another American couple. And unfortunately, that couple did not meet our expectations of uh, cross-cultural workers. We struggled greatly with this discrepancy, and that struggle resulted in, or uh, better said, exposed a deep division between Connie, who reacted to life from her gut, and me, who was doing things by the book. And these difficulties became so great that we were asked to return home. Connie was especially traumatized by this. She was blamed by the other couple, by the organization, and to a, a certain extent, by me. And all of this, especially my disapproval, was crushing for her. Once we were home, our work with a counselor focused mainly on Connie's hurt, but it also exposed something in me that I had not expected. I always pictured myself as loving, kind, and, and above all, respectful. Um, and certainly I had been so with Connie, but um, suddenly I saw the limits to my respect. Connie's ability to connect with people far surpassed my own, and yet the world's judgments on her said that she was less capable than me, that her skills and accomplishments were inferior to mine, and that her emotions always got her in trouble. But once I began instead to perceive her as gifted, to perceive her as gifted with acute intuition and a prophetic passion for justice, then I also began to see that her emotion was intended 
as a blessing to many and a compliment to my very different gifts. And so at this point, I want to note in particular that for me as a man, it was difficult to come to this realization. I've talked to other men whose marriages were in trouble. And from my own experience, um, they, they, they would say that their wives were too emotional and, and too irrational. And so from my experience, I would say, well, you need to lean into those emotions and draw out what is there that God wants you to hear. But this uh, is a bridge too far for many men. It just, it just feels like, like death. Just can't, can't go there. And so my message then to, to men is um, that it was this realization and some resulting changes in my behavior that opened the door for Connie's healing. So in the immensity of God's grace, all of this happened and our marriage was finally and deeply healed shortly before Connie became ill. When we had come home from Kazakhstan, our only intention was to quickly deal with our marital conflict or hope that we had and get back to Kazakhstan. Now, the sudden arrival of the pandemic closed the door to that. And so the only option we were left with was to face the true depth of, of our, our division. And this took us two years. So how in the world would we ever have devoted two years to really getting to this, this true healing without the pandemic? Um, so when it became clear just after this relational healing that our remaining time together was limited, the reality of God's relentless insistence on our healing astounded us. Our last few weeks together were filled with thankfulness. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus knew much joy, yet his death was always before him. A man of sorrows, Isaiah depicts him, often telling his disciples that his death was just ahead, though they could not hear it and telling them as well to take up their cross daily. Jesus had an odd way of restoring Peter. In John chapter 21, we see him help Peter overwrite his three previous denials with three I love yous, and then tell him three times, feed my sheep. But his final reassurance to Peter seems unusual. Um, reading from John 21, verses 18 and 19. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So it seems like he's saying, don't worry, Peter. You will indeed die for me. So this was full 
reinstatement. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Um, in August, I will be returning to Kazakhstan for a three-week visit with much joy, but also with the fragrance of death around me. Adrian, our younger daughter, who you might remember from the memorial service, was here leading worship, um, will help me go through our belongings there and will give Connie's things to her friends so they can use or sell them. And as we meet with those who loved Connie, I anticipate both laughter and tears. Then I will go on to neighboring Uzbekistan, where Anna Milady lived for many years, <clears throat> Samarkand, the, the same city, and, um, and I'll spend a month there staying with close friends and investigating a, a ministry opportunity. And then finally, a month in Tunisia, where Adrian lives with her husband and um, two little boys. And I then expect to spend time reflecting on this trip before deciding on my next moves. So I will leave Cincinnati on Thursday. Grief will work its way out. There will be much joy, but death will also go with me. A sense of failure and reinstatement and a new understanding of the call to die daily. But that's part of being enough. It will be my joy to know that you, UCC, are always with me. And so, if you didn't receive a newsletter from me last week, that means you are not on my mailing list. So please sign up. I've put sheets on uh, two tables. Please sign up so I can share news of this journey with you. So thanks. Thanks very much. A beautiful testimony to God's grace and healing power. Randy, thank you so much. What a wonderful gift it seems this journey has been for you. And one of the threads that I noticed in Randy's story is really how much the journey itself seemed to be the crucible or the incubator for God's transformative work to take hold, uh, both in Randy's own heart, revealing things that were once hidden, and then in his relationship with Connie as well. And so while not all of us are called to overseas, I do think each of us can look at our own lives as a kind of journey, right? And perhaps begin to see signposts, things in our own living, things that have along the way contributed uh, or are presently contributing to our formation, to God's transformative work in our life. And I just want to encourage all of us, myself included, to take some time this week, this month, to just look back upon your own journey of the past maybe even two to three years in the way that Randy has this morning and dare to ask the question, what has God been up to? What has God been up to in my life? When you think back on your journey of the past two to three years, where do you see God's redemptive work? What have been some significant signposts? Who's been with you on that journey? Where has it taken you? Will you reflect on that a little bit with me this week? There are countless ways to, that contribute countless things that contribute to our formation 
in Christ-likeness. And over the next month, we're going to explore that here. I've asked the preaching team, Marty and Kent and Katie and myself, to just share what they sense God has been up to in our lives and the transformation that we're coming to see uh, take hold. And my hope is that if we can offer more personal story and testimony from the front, um, that each of us might receive the courage. And it does take some courage to look at our own lives a little bit closer and ask that question. What has God been up to? What has God been up to? So let it be so. That is my hope. Randy, thank you for sharing this morning. All right, with that, uh, we're going to